Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Breaking news, President-elect Joe Biden to tap Janet Yellen for Treasury in a historic pick amidst the crisis. We have the latest on the policy as well as the politics. Meanwhile, miserable markets turn to blessing for battered stock pickers. A lot to get through. And we begin tonight with sound on the transition. This, as President-elect Joe Biden has now announced that he is planning to tap Janet Yellen, the previous chairwoman of the Federal Reserve, to be Treasury Secretary. Diving into my Bloomberg terminal, Biden plans to nominate former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen to serve as his Treasury Secretary. This, according to people familiar with the matter, choosing the first woman and a seasoned central banker for the nation's top Economic uh, policy job as the coronavirus pandemic threatens another U.S. downturn. Meanwhile, we should also note that they have also said that the transition is also going to be picking uh, Tony Blinken to be Secretary of State and former Secretary of State John Kerry has been tapped to be climate czar. Now, the Washington Post caught up with former President Barack Obama about all of these transition picks earlier today. Here's the former president. There's been some damage done that is going to take some time to uh, um, to, to uh, dig ourselves out of. But there's no doubt that uh, Joe's got the right people to do it. And, and I have every confidence they'll be able to do it. It just may not happen instantaneously. And a headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal as we speak that Michigan has now certified the election results showing a Biden victory. Much more politics coming up, but sticking with the transition and where things stand on the names that we gathered from today. My colleague Ryan Teague Beckwith, a Bloomberg national politics reporter. Ryan, Janet Yellen to the Treasury and Tony Blinken to the State Department. What else do we know? Uh, yeah, well, what we know is that, uh, of course, Barack Obama would say that these are good picks because these are all Obama people. Um, what so far what we're seeing is uh, shaping up to be a sort of Obama third term. A lot of people who were um, worked for him coming back. That's not a big surprise given that it's only been four years since the last administration. 
Uh, in recent years, it, there's been more of an eight-year stretch between parties switching, and it's been they've been reaching uh, out a little bit more. But this is this is Biden picking people that he's comfortable with, and it's Biden picking people who really uh, are just known as uh, competent and not controversial. Um, there's been almost no reaction on the right other than Kerry. Uh, none of them really provoke a strong reaction. And I think that's exactly what Biden is aiming for. Bloomberg's Tyler Pager, Jennifer Epstein and Saleh Mosin also uh, an- analyzing some of the names that were picked earlier today. In addition to uh, Anthony Blinken, Tony Blinken, as secretary of state, Jake Sullivan, formerly one of Hillary Clinton's closest aides, is going to be named Biden's national security advisor. And Linda Thomas-Greenfield will be nominated to serve as Biden's ambassador to the United Nations. And of course, Ron Klain will be his chief of staff. So this, uh, according to multiple multiple uh, developments. And and really, I think, to your point, Ryan, uh, shows precisely what the direction of the administration is going to be picked. You and I know this, our listeners know this, the rollout of these names uh, and, and the contingency of the national intelligence names coming first really depicts what kind of direction they are looking to showcase. Now, there is diversity in these. There is diversity in these picks, but there's also, as you mentioned, um, a, a a history with the Obama administration. These are names uh, that are known not just in Washington D.C., not just to Wall Street and Main Street, but also in geopolitical circles around the world. More importantly, or perhaps just as importantly, that's a more precise word usage, Kevin. More or just as importantly. Uh, President-elect Biden has a deep relationship with many of these individuals, including, of course, Tony Blinken, who started with him uh, back when he was serving as a senator from Delaware. No? Right. The other thing that these people have is uh, recognition from people who would be serving below them. I think we saw, particularly with the State Department, but also with other agencies over the last four years under Trump, uh, that a lot of people burned out uh, or did not like the direction that the departments were going and left for the private sector or for other work, nonprofit work. Um, I think that these people coming back in is a signal to some of them that, you know, if you want to come back, like this, this would be a person that you would like working for. So I think that it's going to be a top job for all of them as rebuilding the institutional muscle uh, that may have uh, weakened in some of those agencies under Trump. And so uh, I think it's it's really interesting just to notice just the direction of what picking uh, former Fed chairwoman Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary and the impact that that's going to have, not just in terms of the domestic economy, but the, the global economy. Uh, Fed chairwoman Yellen, when she uh, was uh, back on uh, getting her Senate confirmation hearing uh, f- by the Senate Banking Committee uh, really did garner uh, some some praise from progressives and people like Senator Elizabeth Warren might have wanted to see her go in a more progressive direction, but she wasn't really opposed by progressives as much as, say, a Larry Summers was. And so I, I, she was actually on Bloomberg television uh, just the other week, really, talking about just how essential it's going to be to have economic stimulus in order for the U.S. economy to recover. Take a listen to what former Fed chair and future Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen had to say to my colleagues just a few weeks ago at the Bloomberg New Economy Forum. The notion that the Fed, Fed can do all that is required at this point to support the economy um, is just wrong. And the Fed is 
really pleading for fiscal relief. I believe it's essential. Case in point, the dynamic that has emerged between the outgoing Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin as well as the current Fed Chair uh, uh, Jay Powell, in which they've been engaging in uh, a back and forth with letters about handing back some of the funds that Congress had allocated for the Federal Reserve lending facilities. The Fed is saying, no, we need to keep this in order to help stimulate the economy. Congress should do its due diligence to pass economic relief. So in Fed Chair Yellen, as his Treasury Secretary, you now have two heads of the central bank who are going to be saying exactly what the central bank needs in order to get this economic recovery back on track, Ryan C. Beckwith. Wow. I mean, that's it's historic, especially in our in our Bloomberg circles. Yeah, no, I think that it, the, the fact that she knows what it's like to be on the other side of that, uh, I guess, uh, pen pal relationship uh, that they have um, is going to be a significant advantage to her and I think to the to the Biden team. And again, this is also a team uh, that went through all of this before. I mean, Biden was there in 2009 and uh, in the past recession and seeing how things played out. And I think that this is a little bit of a do-over in some cases. I think that we may be surprised by some of the directions they go in, having seen what happened when they took a more moderate approach last time. It's so remarkable. I was a reporter at Politico during uh, Janet Yellen's confirmation hearing in November of 2013. And I just was in prepping for the show, looking at uh, what my colleague at the time, uh, Kate Davidson, who's now at the Wall Street Journal, what we wrote in terms of the preview. And so many of these themes are going to come up in her tenure in terms of uh, how strong is the Republican opposition? Will anyone carry the audit the Fed flag? Regulatory policy. And then, oh yeah, chief among them, too big to fail. And that in particular at a time in which there is trillions of dollars of stimulus on the table right now and how much money is going to be needed, not just in 2013 that was needed for 2008, but now is going to be needed in this day and age. It's going to be remarkable, remarkable to have the former head of the central bank now as treasury secretary dealing with geopolitical matters all around the world with sanctions mind you now taking the head of the treasury department i mean folks this is it's it's remarkable my thanks to ryan teague beckwith and coming up on the program we have much more politics and policy and we'll get some reaction on what happened in the markets today this as investors have been watching what's been going on with the, on the vaccination front and we'll have all of that coming up you can download the bloomberg sound on podcasts on apple itunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the bloomberg business app i'm kevin cerilli you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 your industry is unique It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, 
we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, again, if you're just joining us, major, major headlines just throughout uh, the afternoon. Janet Yellen is going to be Treasury Secretary in a Biden administration. Again, Fed Chair Janet Yellen, former Fed Chair Janet Yellen, has now been tapped to be the Treasury Secretary in a Biden administration. And it's going to be remarkable to see how all of that plays out. This in the fight for more fiscal stimulus. Also, we what we don't know is what how we know a little bit, but 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 it will be Interesting to see her positions on geopolitical matters as it relates to sanctions, as it relates to international matters uh, at the Treasury Department. Uh, Time now to check in on what happened in the markets. U.S. stocks climbed as investors piled into companies that will benefit most from a return to normal economic activity. Tech shares lagged behind while gold slumped. The S&P 500 briefly extended gains on news that Joe Biden will nominate former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary. She recently said that the recovery will be uneven and a lackluster if Congress doesn't spend more to fight unemployment and keep small businesses afloat. We actually have that soundbite. Marufo's on the boards. Let's hear once again from uh, our colleague's interview, recent interview with Fed Chair Janet Yellen, in which she talked about the need for more stimulus. Here she is. The notion that the Fed, Fed can do all that is required at this point to support the economy um, is just wrong. And the Fed is really pleading for fiscal relief. I believe it's essential. Meanwhile, my colleagues caught up with Chris Zaccarelli, who's the chief investment officer for Independent Advisor Alliance, who told them, quote, the market would view Janet Yellen's appointment as market friendly. At the very least, she is likely to work well with Chair Powell. Okay, joining us on the telephone line uh, is Michael Reagan, a senior editor for Bloomberg Markets Live. That's what happened in the markets today. Let's begin with President-elect Biden's pick uh, in Janet Yellen to be Treasury. Do you agree? I mean, is this a market-friendly pick? Well, you know, Kevin, I think that quote you read uh, from the source today uh, is pretty uh, indicative of, of what we've heard from a lot of people. The market is very familiar with Janet Yellen. Investors are very familiar with her. Um, she's a known entity. Um, it's interesting because the Treasury uh, Secretary pick is not in past years the type of thing that would necessarily move markets one way or the other. Um, Unless he picked case, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's a great point. And, and that was, you know, in the back of some people's minds, I think there was uh, some speculation uh, that maybe Elizabeth Warren would get a very high-profile uh, White House cabinet position like that. The fact that it, it appears not to be Treasury Secretary is maybe uh, appealing to the investors in, in one way. But I think it's, it is that notion that 
Um, you know, uh, Skidden Mnuchin was such uh, a powerful Treasury Secretary compared to some of his predecessors. The, President Trump sort of uh, entrusted him with a lot more of the type of, uh, obviously, the trade negotiations and that sort of thing. He was very much a, a right-hand man to Trump. So I think, you know, investors were probably more curious than, than usual to see who this Treasury Secretary under Biden would be. And the, so the fact that it is Yellen... The fact that they're, um, you know, the Trump administration is leaving Biden with a lot of sort of finished and unfinished business on the international trade front, obviously, especially with China, um, that I think maybe there is this speculation that, that this role of Treasury Secretary is a bit more of a market mover than, than maybe it was in, in sort of, you know, more um, sort of normal uh, administrations, for, back of a, uh, for lack of a better word. Okay, so, so meanwhile, it's it's remarkable and and such smart analysis coming from uh, my colleague Michael Reagan, senior editor for Bloomberg Markets Live. I know I'm going to ask you a historical question, and I did not. I was not able to find this out. And Tom Keen's going to be mad at me. Tom, don't be mad at me, okay? Tom Keen, Tom Keen, don't be mad at me. And I and I said uh, my issue. Do has there ever been a situation where the head of the central bank has gone to the Treasury Secretary? Do we know? I, you know I, Tom's going to be mad at me too. I don't know, oh, no. which is which is nothing new. That's kind of a normal state of play. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, Kevin, not that I know of. I, I I've never heard of that scenario before. If you're um, listening, tweet at me because I want to know. I got I got to figure this out because it's really. I I can't stress this enough. I remember I was a Cub reporter, fresh out of Penn State, the whole world ahead of me, and I go to Politico <laughs> and uh and I'm covering the confirmation hearings, and for Janet Yellen and in in Dirksen, and um. You know, so many of the issues, it was, we were at the, in 2013, we were at the tail end, you know, we were out of the 2008 recovery, you know, we had recovered essentially. And now we're like right back in the thick of things and it's worse. It's different, but it feels worse in terms of, uh, in terms of the economic calamity that the coronavirus has rock, uh, has, has brought. Meanwhile, and I got to pivot because there was another major current in the markets today. The NASDAQ 100 was little changed while the Russell 2000 of smaller companies jumped almost 2%. Why? AstraZeneca became the latest firm to deliver positive vaccine developments bolstering demand for cruise line operators and airlines because obviously they think that if the vaccine comes that they'll do better small caps are about are up about 18% in november on track for the best month ever what happened with astrazeneca today michael reagan well you know kevin it's a story that we've seen the last month or so where there's there's basically just two sides to the stock market there's one those nasdaq 100 companies that you're talking about uh, stuff like Facebook and Netflix and Apple, the companies that really not only were immune to uh, the pandemic this year, but actually kind of thrived from them as people you know, were stuck in front of their computers more and more uh, throughout their day. Then you have the whole rest of the market, which is those uh, cruise line operators, the airline companies, the energy companies that sell them gas and oil, um, the basically everyone who's not a Internet-focused business that would benefit if life uh, someday gets back to normal. And so every time there is this sort of positive news on a vaccine, you know, they, they sort of break it down shorthanded as the stay-at-home trade, being those big tech companies, or the reopening trade, which is basically everyone else. Um, the thing is, those big tech companies are such a big weight in the NASDAQ 100 and in the S&P 500 
that when it gets to this sort of uh, binary event, are we getting closer to reopening or are we getting you know further away from it and shutting down well, harder be- because of the, the virus? And, and, and to your point about the two the two narratives that had emerged uh, with regards to AstraZeneca. So you've got uh, you've got what happened with uh, SVB larynx uh, coming out and saying that AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca tried to embellish their word, embellish their COVID vaccine results. Um, and he essentially made those claims on Bloomberg television. Then AstraZeneca comes out and talks to my colleagues, Alex Steele and Guy Johnson, and says that those comments from SVB Learing analysts were incorrect and that they were too harsh. I have sound on this. Take a listen uh, to AstraZeneca executive for VP and biopharmaceuticals business unit president, Rude Dauber, earlier today talking to my colleagues. Here he is. I think those comments are quite harsh. Uh, we need to realize that uh, the study has been executed by a top scientists from Oxford as well as AstraZeneca. Uh, we will publish later in the week the full data set. So they are working around the clock in order to give full visibility about the different cohorts we have studied. And I think it's far too early to speculate about how regulators will uh, will react on, on, on that. Michael Reagan, very quickly, only have 15 seconds. Was it too harsh? Well, I think from the investment community standpoint, um, any progressive news on any of these three uh, vaccines, um, whether it's it's maybe they're they're yeah. being uh, a little bit too right. strong than they should be, any good news on the vaccine front is going to be good news for the market for now. Maybe we could get some good news for the Philadelphia Eagles. You following me, Michael Reagan, senior editor for Bloomberg Markets Live. Much more coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President-elect Joe Biden taps former Fed chairwoman Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary, plus Tony Blinken to lead the State Department. All of that, plus additional announcements come... 
as Biden world takes shape in the cabinet. And the latest on what's happening with the vaccination front, uh, lots to get through. We begin tonight with Biden world taking shape. President-elect Joe Biden is set to name former Federal Reserve Chairwoman Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary. His longtime uh, geopolitical aide and advisor Tony Blinken to be Secretary of State. Avril Haines to be his pick for the Director of National Intelligence, charged with overseeing more than a dozen federal offices from the CIA to National Security Agency. And if confirmed, we should note this, uh, Avril Haines, uh, as the Director of National Intelligence, would be the first woman to serve as Director of National Intelligence. And this position, mind you, was created in the aftermath uh, of September of the September 11th 2001 terrorist attacks. Then he also, uh, also now, uh, he is going to name Alejandro Mayorkas, who led the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Agency in the Obama administration, to be the head of Homeland Security. This would make him the first Latino to run a department tasked with enforcing the nation's immigration laws. And John Kerry, Former Secretary of State and standard bearer of the Democratic Party, John Kerry, will return to government as a climate czar in Biden's administration, signaling the importance that they place uh, on uh, climate change. And, of course, we should note, chief among them, he was one of the architects uh, of the Paris Climate Agreement, which was largely which uh, the Trump administration withdrew from. He's a strong supporter, rather, of the Paris Climate Agreement. John Kerry was. So that's where we begin, and we have sound on this transition from none other than former President Barack Obama, who spoke with The Washington Post. There's been some damage done that is going to take some time to, uh, um, to, to uh, dig ourselves out of. But and it, there's no doubt that uh, Joe's got the right people to do it. And, and I have every confidence they'll be able to do it. It just may not happen instantaneously. And while publicly the president-elect is naming uh, individuals to form his government, behind the scenes, increasingly more publicly, Ron Klain, his chief of staff, is urging that the outgoing administration coordinate on a host of different issues pertaining to national security and the coronavirus. Ron Klain was on ABC's This Week yesterday speaking with George Stephanopoulos. There's a lot of focus on that vaccine rollout plan that's going to be critical in the early days of a Biden presidency. We have no access to that. And Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, the Democrat from New York, said that the president-elect is looking forward and toward getting a coronavirus relief bill. Here he is speaking in Manhattan on Sunday morning. Money for state and local governments and money for mass transit and money for health care, new testing, money to help distribute the vaccines once they are produced. More money. And that's precisely what my colleagues asked to former Fed chair, soon to be Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, when she appeared at the Bloomberg New Economy Forum just several weeks ago. And she had this to say. The notion that the Fed, Fed can do all that is required at this point to support the economy um, is just wrong. And the Fed is really pleading for fiscal relief. I believe it's essential. 
My colleagues with me for the hour, or my panelists with me for the hour, Jen Nasser, a Republican strategist, former chairwoman of the Massachusetts Republican Party, and founder for Conservative Women for a Better Future, and Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. Uh, Joe, uh, I'll begin with you. You hear those names, you hear the lay of the land on this Monday evening in Washington, D.C., and your reaction about what the administration is putting together and really how fiscal stimulus is going to be one of the first priorities. Well, I think when I first look at this in first blush, you know, I, I, I think that these are very stable, uh, uh, for the lack of a better word, stable appointments right now. Um, like Janice Yellen, for instance, someone who has experience in this, in this arena uh, and has the respect of the business community, but also has the respect of you know, the more le- left-leaning within the Democratic Party and caucus. But also, if I can for a moment, just how remarkably historic this is, uh, seeing especially the diversity of this so far in terms of uh, gender and race. Um, it's, 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 it's incredibly balanced, I think, in terms of uh, the beginnings of what I think will be uh, the most diverse um, uh, cabinet in the history of our country, in all likelihood. So I uh, I, I think, uh, on one hand, it's it's almost somewhat predictable. And at the same time, none, none of these people on this list were really shocking. But at the same time, it's really apparent how loyal I think President uh, like Biden is going to be to bring about a diverse cabinet. Let me follow up with this, Joe Crowley, just because you know all these players so, so well. And look, I mean, you know, the nerd in me, just in noting the significance of having two former uh, heads of the— or no, you have Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary, former Fed Chair— uh, working with Jay Powell, and we're going to dive into this coming up, but just that right there is is fascinating in terms of the need for fiscal stimulus. She's been out making the rounds on Bloomberg TV, on our competitors, urging for there to be more fiscal stimulus. She was, in many ways, uh, I don't want to say, I th- she was showing what she will do when she talks to Congress about the need for more fiscal stimulus and really showing herself to be a centrist type of stabilizing pick, no? So I think that's true. As I said, she comes to this with, with great experience. But I think, Kevin, the biggest change here is that you have a president-elect that not only recognizes the crisis that we're in, but has called for additional stimulus and called for additional reaction uh, to crush the COVID virus. That's that's completely rem- uh, a turnabout from the the present state of our of our president. And I will suggest to anyone who's listening, if you voted for the president because you liked his fiscal policies, you liked his tax policies, I really think you have to look at the damage he's doing right now to the country uh, in terms of not being cooperative in this transition, and well, really hoping to leave the Biden administration in a more difficult position. That's not uh, being true sports or Americans about this, and I think it can be potentially very, very damaging. Jen Nasser, I have a lot of questions to ask you coming up throughout the hour, and we've got a minute left here, but your reaction to what Joe just said? <laughs> um, I, I disagree, um, respectfully disagree to Congressman. Um, but, I mean, I, you know, I think, look, the Republicans, we had come to the table numerous times, um, you know, over the summer into early fall with package. It wasn't the same as the Democrats wanted. Again and again and again, the Republicans were going to look for ways for people to get back to work. That stimulus for the country is always going to be putting people's pockets because they're earning it, they're outworking, and then they're going to infuse it into the economy. 
All right, coming up, we're going to talk much more about the transition uh, and the conversations or lack thereof conversations between Trump world and Biden world with our panel, Jen Nasser and Joe Crowley. And we'll dive into uh, the geopolitics of the shift that we're that we're noticing now based upon previous remarks that we can glean from some of the picks in the past, including uh, Tony Blinken, who's appeared on this program. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Forget about your legal challenges and who's counting what votes. Please, God, I ask the Trump administration to open the books on the vaccine and, and the virus generally to the, to, to the Biden team. That was New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, Democrat, today warning that states will need a robust federal partnership for the complex job of vaccine distribution, pleading with the Trump administration to reporters uh, earlier today. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. Panelists with me for the hour, all-star panelists, got to say, Joe Crowley, former New York congressman, and Jen Nasser, Republican strategist. Jen, I want to get your reaction to the New Jersey governor and, and really the urging, not just of people like Governor Murphy, but Senator Toomey, Senator Murkowski, uh, Collins, uh, uh, Senator Kevin Kramer, a staunch ally of President Trump's. That's for, I know I'm for, oh, Rob Portman and an op-ed, all urging cooperation. These are, those are all Republicans I just rattled off, urging cooperation for the uh, Trump administration to cooperate with the Biden transition team, Jim. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't know if there's any Republican who actually wants to believe that Trump is not going to be the president. Um, but at this point, you know, despite the legal challenges, I think that um, it's pretty obvious where this is going. And I think that it's time for the president and his team to, you know, to help the next the transition go along smoothly. That's that's the right thing and the respectful thing. That doesn't mean the challenges can't keep going on. That doesn't mean that it's giving up. But, it, you know, just to be able to have a smooth transition um, I think at this point is, is the right way to go. You know, I think what you just said, and, and I've spoken all throughout the weekend, uh, as well as in the past couple of days, with members of the administration and members of the of the reelection uh, campaign effort. And all of them say that privately, what you just said of you can still pursue the, the legal action, even if it's, you know, a very narrow path while also cooperating. And it's the decision not to cooperate on something like the coronavirus that has really frustrated many of these individuals behind the scenes based upon my reporting. I mean, I can tell you that because you look at the coronavirus news and the coronavirus cases that are continuing to skyrocket in Republican and Democratic states across the country. And it's 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 almost as if this back and forth cable news fodder of left and right, both sides and, and the fanfare of it is is small ball. It's plastic. It's not even plastic. It's like it's like I don't even know. I, I'm, I ran out of an analogy. Christine Barada, who's back from vacation, thankfully, our executive producer. I don't have the analogy. Joe Crowley, come in here. Well, I agree with Ms. Nasser. I, I believe that. See what uh, I did, Jen? You know, See what I did, Joe? I got you to agree, and you thought it would never happen. I bring people together. Kev, Kevin, go ahead. Kevin, typically, 
basically on your show, I agree with all my Republican counterparts except for today. So, um, and, and I welcome it. It's fine. There's no, no problem with that. But listen, you know, this is something that should have been done two weeks ago. You know, walking and chewing gum at the same time. I agree that, you know, he's entitled to his legal challenges, but also he should have invoked um, that the uh, transition should at least start to talk to the other side here and uh, help them prepare in the event, as we all know, what's going to happen, that he's not reelected president of the United States. And so now we push that back two weeks. And the whole point of questioning, uh, really questioning uh, the validity of this election is doing tremendous damage to our, our democracy and how we're not only uh, looking at it from inside the United States, but how the rest of the world looks at us, at us as well. I think there's been some real damage done here. I think it's reversible, but, you know, it's going to take some time and convincing a lot of Republicans who voted for Trump uh, that th these elections were legitimate and, and forthright. And, and the sad day that uh, anyone running for president would, would, uh, would undermine our system like this. All right, I want to pivot back to policy because we got two major developments, and you guys know, both of you know, I'm a huge I'm much more policy oriented. And so I want to divide the remaining time in this block to uh, additional fiscal stimulus with the news of, of Janet Yellen and then what it means for U.S. and China relations with Tony Blinken. Let's start quick. And I want to get both of your reactions quick to both of these sound bites. We're going to begin with how uh, Janet Yellen, former Fed chair, now who Biden is tapping to be Treasury Secretary, she appeared at the Bloomberg New Economy Forum talking more about uh, additional steps that could be taken uh, with fiscal stimulus. Here she is. We need um, support for the economy, both for monetary and fiscal policy. And monetary policy has already done a huge amount. Fiscal policy response in the United States has been extremely impressive. But um, actually, it's it's much larger, the fiscal support, than what was done after the 2008-09 financial crisis. But um, the fiscal support has now lapsed. So, Jen, I mean, th th you know, you know, the, the divide in your party is whether or not more stimulus is needed. She's saying that it is needed. Yeah, I, I'm on the side that we don't need more stimulus. I, you know, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, do we give it to business owners, the small business owners, to keep their doors open, to keep their lights on? But it, the best stimulus for America is to get people back to work, not to have lockdowns. That's a bad way to go. That is terrible for the economy. Well, they're not we saying lockdowns. I want to be clear open. on this. They're not saying a national lockdown. And they've said that they've said that they're not in favor I, of a national lockdown. I know, but that, but there are states that are locking down. There, true, I live true. in Massachusetts. We're, we're closing at 930 at night. Restaurants have to close. So if you're a waitress, if you're a waiter, if you own the restaurant, you're losing money because yep. people are not coming in. And when you hear that, you know, kids aren't going back to school, well, parents can't go to work. There have been articles and articles about single moms not being able to keep their jobs or be able to advance in their careers because their kids aren't in school. So we can talk about stimulus. It's easy just to give a check to people. What's difficult is to make those decisions as to how to get people back to work safely. All right, we're going to talk about China coming up. We've got a minute left, Joe. Uh, your reaction to, to Fed Chair Yellen uh, saying that more stimulus is needed. Absolutely. 12 million Americans infected by this virus. A quarter of a million Americans more have died because of it. This is a crisis in our country. The reality is that small businesses are suffering. In my home city of New York City, 
they expect that a third of all small businesses will not reopen. This wow. should not be some kind of economic Darwinism that we're talking about here. You know, survival of the fittest small businesses under a crisis like this. They need stimulus. They need help. They need to put money in the hands of people who will spend it. And I have news for you. There are people who are facing, going to be facing evictions, small business evictions, but actually people can't afford to pay their yep. rent. And the right. only reason why this economy is moving is because of the stimulus that's been placed there in the first place, in these first care packages. All right. Stay where you are, both of the panelists. We've got much more to talk about. We're going to pivot to U.S. China. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Tomorrow, my interview with Keith Kroc, the Undersecretary for Economic Affairs. Um, he will be with me tomorrow. Uh, joining us right now, Joe Crowley, a former New York Congressman and Democratic Caucus Chair, and Jen Nasser, Republican strategist, former chairwoman of the Massachusetts Republican Party and founder for Conservative Women for a Better Future. We are going to talk about uh, what we've been talking about for the whole program, and that is the Biden administration taking shape. He has tapped Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary and Tony Blinken to be uh, his Secretary of State. I actually spoke with Tony Blinken, uh, I believe, in July. Does anyone else feel like all of 2020 is a blur and you don't know whether we're in March or April or, but it was over the summer. I said that to Taylor Riggs, my colleague Taylor Riggs, and I was filling in for Weston, David Weston uh, on Balance of Power. We were going back and forth in our Bloomberg terminal. I'd be saying, when, when was the Blinken interview? Blinken, you'll miss it. I don't even know. It was over the summer. Anyway, I asked Tony Blinken about, you know, what would, what would a U.S. China relationship look like, um, in a Biden administration. Take a listen to what he told me. The first thing is we have to dig out from a, a strategic deficit that I'm afraid President Trump has put us in because right now, by every key metric, China's strategic position is stronger and ours is weaker as a result of the president's leadership. Okay, Jen, I know you disagree with that analysis, but I, <laughs> but I want to come back and I want us to think not politically, but analytically, which is that what he didn't say was that they're going to be soft on China. And I think that's my biggest takeaway based on all of the conversations that I have with the Intel world and geopolitical sources is that the U.S. and China relationship is still trending in. I don't I don't even know what adjective to use. It's still intensifying. And you would agree with that, right, Jen, that there are issues of nonpartisanship pertaining to U.S. and China. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, where do we start? Do we start at the tariffs? Do we start at the access for tech companies or access yeah. for journalists and diplomats for the shuttered consulates for, you know, the strife in the South China Sea? There are so many things that are that have been going on that we need an administration that is going to have a tough foreign policy when it comes to China. Okay, come in here, Joe, in terms of Tony Blinken. I know you've worked with him before. Tony Blinken to the State Department. Your reaction in terms of what he said to me, and, and he goes on to say this in this interview, that as Jen just pointed out, especially with regards to 5G and uh, digital, it's uh, techno-democracies versus techno-autocracies. And the way that a democracy mm -hmm. uses technology is very different than the Communist Party of China using technology. Go ahead, Joe. 
Well, I would say this, that I think um, uh, Jim would agree, uh, that um, President Trump, uh, although I think Democrats may not have liked the tactic, uh, the way in which he was doing it, maybe he found it a bit erratic, um, he, he, he started moving on things that Democrats had been talking about, like Tim Ryan and others within the Rust Belt for many years in terms of the competition from China. But putting aside just for a moment, just for a moment, the economic challenges that we have in the Pacific and worldwide writ large with China, China's quest for a blue water navy, it, the, the actions it has taken over the, in, the, in the last decade uh, certainly a cause for alarm. They, their incursion into proper Indian territory, the border disputes there with India, uh, just uh, just a tip of the iceberg of uh, some of the influence that the that the Chinese are spreading. Look what they're doing in soft power in Africa, in South America, and elsewhere, and challenging really what has been the sphere of the United States in, in the Southern Hemisphere. The Uyghurs. Uh, it's really alarming in many respects. The Uyghurs and the, the human rights abuses. I mean, yep. you look at Taiwan, Absolutely. you look at Hong Kong, mm -hmm. you look at what's been going mm -hmm. on with 5G. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I think I think this conversation right here, Jen Nasser, Joe Crawley, uh, you know, two incredibly analytical uh, voices to have on this matter, just illustrates the consensus, the American consensus, as it relates to, to U.S. and China. Tony Blinken, someone who has been with uh, uh, President-elect Joe Biden, dating back to his time uh, in the Senate. So it will be remarkable just to see uh, how how this emerges, but he has said that he wants to rebuild uh, the Western alliance in, in, in terms of getting folks on the same page. And and that's a that's a departure, right? I mean, and Jen would agree with this uh, in the sense that the uh, the current administration felt that our Western allies had taken advantage of us a little too much and said that there needed to be a, a shakeup, so to speak. Okay, it's time now for my favorite part of the program, which we're going to do a little earlier because we have Tyler Cohen on in the next block, uh, which is what is on the panel's radar. Jen Nasser, what's on your radar? <laughs> I love oh, how people... I, I'm doing the thing. I think because Barat is back, I'm doing that voice again. Go ahead, Jen. What's on your radar? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you sound a little bit like the Wizard of Oz there, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's really just an analogy for the Federal Reserve. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so I think a couple of things. Number one, I think the handling of the 2020 elections, you know, is going to be looming. Look, it, whether you like Trump or not, it, the fact of the matter is 73 million people voted for him. And I think that a, a lot, on the minds of a lot of people are fair and equitable elections, and where is democracy really going in the future in America? That's one thing I'm looking at. My other thing is, you know, are we headed back into the swamp with Joe Biden's picks that are, yes, even though they're, they're stable, they're people who have, um, have great experience, but they are retreads. They are people who served in the Obama administration and are coming back now. Folks like John Kerry, not necessarily the youngest, um, you know, and and for a question that I would love to kick back to um, former congressmen is, you know, how how do folks like and you're not going to want to answer this. And I'm sorry for asking. This is rhetorical. But how do people like AOC react now when you have a lot of these people who are coming back who are former administration officials and it's a lot of older folks that have experience and not, you know, people that are part of the, the squad? Well, I think, as, as uh, has been said before, it's not the age of the person, but the age of the ideas, quite frankly. And I think mm -hmm. these people are all highly qualified, 
and they have all, for the most part, already been approved by the Senate for other positions in the past. So I do think that that's an important factor here. But let me just say what my yeah, what's uh, on what, your what radar, Joe? Is my radar screen is I wonder how many additional Democrats the president will be able to take not out of the Senate but out of the House because yeah, these elections, uh, these special elections that would be derived from that would take months and would severely curtail Pelosi's ability to get things through the House. That's but, what I'm wondering. That's that's fascinating. Mm. Uh, here's, here's what's on my radar. Um, is Israel's Netanyahu and Saudi crown prince hold the first known meaning. Uh, reading from Dow Jones, Tel Aviv Dateline, uh, from Felicia Swartz and Summer Said. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu met Saudi Arabia's crown prince in the kingdom on Sunday, according to two Saudi government advisors in their first known meeting and amid a U.S. push to normalize ties between the longtime foes. Saudi officials have denied the meeting took place. Mr. Netanyahu made the secret trip on Sunday evening to the seaside corner of northwest Saudi Arabia to join U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's meeting with Prince Mohammed bin Salman. And all of this comes uh, as, again, as they discuss several issues, including the normalization of ties, and they also discussed Iran, but no substantial agreements were reached. Really remarkable. And regardless of what happens um, in terms of what your opinions are, uh, Tony Blinken stepping in to be Secretary of State is going to be dealing with a Middle East that looks very, very different than it did during the Obama administration. And I'm really I'm going to be fascinated to 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 see how that unfolds. And someone with uh, his uh, experience and his strategy is that even, do we know if that's a word uh, and how <laughs> hey, he Kevin, will. Kevin, Kevin, did, 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 did the prime minister come back in one piece? What? I, you know, I, I'm not going to joke about that, but I, I, your point of reference and alluding to Jamal Khashoggi's, uh, you know, is, we'll know if he actually had the meeting or not, is, is, is very, very, uh, interesting to say the least in terms of where things go. All right. We're going to leave it there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and it will be remarkable just to see again how that Middle East uh, shapes up uh, in the next administration. My thanks to Joe Crowley. My thanks to Jen Nasser. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Coming up next, we get a full-on update with regards to the vaccine. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. 
Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for uh, Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. So much, so many developments, rather, on the vaccination front earlier today. And Bloomberg, my colleagues at Bloomberg, really doing incredible reporting on it because uh, there was so much back and forth with regards to AstraZeneca. So if you saw this, you've got AstraZeneca being criticized by SVB Lierlink Therapeutics Research Director Jeffrey Porges in an interview that he did with uh, with Bloomberg. Take a listen to Jeffrey Porges and what he said AstraZeneca did uh, with regards to their uh, vaccine, COVID vaccine results, by highlighting a reported 90% efficacy and relatively small subset of subjects in the study. Here he is. They found that in the individuals who were given half a dose of the initial vaccine, they had better efficacy. Now, that was a very small subset, you know, 2,700 subjects, which compares to 45,000 or so for the Pfizer announcement last week. And so I just don't think that you can draw too much in the way of a conclusion from a 2,700 subject um, subset where you had about 30 cases of COVID overall confirmed um, so it's just a lot to make a big deal and say that your vaccine is as effective as, as these vaccines studied in massive trials. Well, we have sound on from AstraZeneca and their reaction because my colleagues Alex Steele and Guy Johnson interviewed AstraZeneca Executive VP and Biopharmaceuticals Business Unit President Rude Dauber. Here he is. I think those comments are quite harsh. Uh, we need to realize that Uh, The study has been executed by a top scientist from Oxford, as well as AstraZeneca. Uh, We will publish later in the week the full data set. So they are working around the clock in order to give full visibility about the different cohorts we have studied. And I think it's far too early to speculate about how regulators will uh, will react on, on, on that. Tyler Cohen is a Bloomberg opinion columnist. He is a professor of economics at George Mason University and writes for the blog Marginal Revolution. His books include The Complacent Class, The Self-Defeating Quest for the American Dream. And his column, which grabbed my attention, is headlined Vaccine Distribution Won't Be Fair and Shouldn't Be. I want to ask you about your uh, your column, Tyler. But first, I want to get you to weigh in on what we heard regarding the AstraZeneca vaccine. It seems the AstraZeneca vaccine is safe. It is easier to apply in many parts of the world. I think this is fantastic news. It should be distributed uh, as quickly as possible. But for most Americans, actually, our own vaccines are probably better to take. So, I mean, in, in this regards, just as a whole, now that the markets are literally whipsawing off of any any development from Pfizer, from AstraZeneca, it, what I'm hearing for, from you, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so let me ask the question. Essentially, people should take a deep breath and follow the science, look at the results of the sample size, and and continue to follow the broader trend that these vaccines are uh, getting approved over the next couple of weeks and will be in in the marketplace uh, within the first six to nine months of next calendar year. 
Uh, maybe sooner than that. We have yeah. much, much Good. better results and choices than we thought we would. I am worried about distribution at the state and local level and the money and the logistics and the planning, and I'm afraid we're going to mess that up. And the cost in terms of lives and lost jobs and GDP, it still could be quite high. So we need to monitor that closely. Okay, now let's talk about your column, because you write the priority should be given to methods that will save more lives and bring back the economy more rapidly. Okay, who should get the vaccine first, Tyler Cohen? Well, healthcare workers, right? Arguably individuals in the military, key people in government. But here's the basic conflict. Often you can save more lives by giving the vaccine to the less responsible people in the less responsible areas. But that's not really fair. The fair thing to do would be to give the vaccine to the people who have been behaving well and wearing masks and not going to large indoor gatherings. So there's a basic conflict here. I, for one, would rather save the lives, but I'm pointing out the conflict. Okay, so this conflict is fascinating because you write there is an uncomfortable truth here. Most of the best distribution methods are blatantly unfair. In this context, however, fairness is overrated. Priority should be given to methods that will save more lives and bring back the economy more rapidly. Okay, so be a little bit. I mean, I mean, you go into this, but, you know, in, in terms of, after we after healthcare workers get it, who would you like to see gets it? I mean, should, who who you know go there for us? Who who should get it after the healthcare and military personnel have received it and the frontline workers? I think we have had some particular cities in this country that have been hit especially hard by the vaccine. New York City would be one example. It is more dependent on, say, the theater and museums reopening in an orderly, safe manner, uh, whereas a place such as, you know, Chattanooga doesn't rely on those services in the same way. And to actually clean up the problem first in some areas and get their economies truly up and running, the sales tax revenue being generated, uh, the deficits wiped out, uh, that to me is a higher priority than giving everyone a small bit of dose everywhere in the country, which is what we're going to do. But we'll have, you know, kind of a tiny impact at first in many places when we should be cleaning up the biggest messes first. So it's, it's almost like you wouldn't distribute salt to Texas to clean up to ice the roads for a blizzard. And so I, 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 maybe that analogy works. But what I'm hearing from you is a geographic approach. So where there are a large concentration of cases, maybe that that's where the vaccination distribution model should go, as opposed to just going to parts of the country where there aren't as many cases. The problem is right now there's an uptick in cases everywhere. Go ahead. Sure. But, you know, it may be more important to get it to Nebraska, where right now the mm -hmm. caseload is rising rapidly, than, say, to Vermont, where people have actually done what they were told to do. That's not fair. But, again, I would rather save more lives. And so, as, you know, it, it, is this, you, you write your final line, which I think is very controversial. I'm going to be honest, Tyler Cohen. You write, I humbly suggest a lottery where you have to live in Fairfax County, Virginia. If you're thinking, hey, that's not fair, well, that's exactly the point. What do you mean by that? I'm sitting in Fairfax County right now. That's exactly what I mean. I was joking, <laughs> right? That's tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but the point is, when you ask who should get it first, there's not going to be an objectively right answer. But you do have to ask the question, are we going to pretend we're fair and give a bit to everyone and be ineffective, or are we going to go ahead and make the tough choices? I'm saying go ahead and make the tough choices. It's going to favor someone over someone else, but better that than being less effective. Tyler Cohen, my fourth grade teacher, Betsy Martin, Mrs. Martin, now retired, uh, always had this, this expression. It was on her wall. 
at Wallingford Elementary School, Little Kev, it said, fair is not always equal. Fair is not always equal. It's remarkable. It stayed with me all these years. Okay, I got to ask you about another column of yours that I absolutely Let's thought Let's give was... her the vaccine first, but yeah, please continue. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Martin, if you're listening, uh, I got to uh, ask you about this. COVID-19 is increasing America's lead over China. You're an optimist. Why? Why do you feel that way? Our vaccines are better than theirs. We yep. did them remarkably quickly. People had been saying, oh, China does everything so quickly and we're so slow. You know, we used to put a man on the moon in seven years. We can't do that anymore. We showed we can do it again. We showed we're higher tech. We showed in computational biology, RNA analysis, many areas. We are ahead of them. We've lost more lives. That's terrible. It's a great tragedy. I don't mean to minimize that. But if you're thinking about geopolitical power, the U.S. comes out of this looking pretty good. Tyler Cohen. Thank you so much, sir. For I know we moved your segment around too, so thank you so much for uh, for your time and for come back anytime. I, I really enjoy reading your columns. Fair is not always equal. So I went to my dad and I said, "What does she mean?" She says that the reward for hard work is more hard work. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.